3. Inning. The tinderbox was a valuable asset to the home, particularly in the pioneer regions of the West. 38. Safety matches. Ordinary phosphorus, while excellent as a fire-producing material, is dangerously poisonous, and those to whom the dipping of wooden strips into phosphorus is a daily occupation suffer with a terrible disease which usually attacks the teeth and bones of the jaw. The teeth rot and fall out, abscesses form, and bones and flesh begin to decay. The only way to prevent the spread of the disease is to remove the affected bone, and in some instances it has been necessary to remove the entire jaw. Then, too, matches made of yellow or white phosphorus ignite easily, and, when rubbed against any rough surface, are apt to take fire. Many destructive fires have been started by the accidental friction of such matches against rough surfaces. For these reasons the introduction of the so-called safety match was an important event, when common phosphorus, in the dangerous and easily ignited form, is heated in a closed vessel to about 250 degrees C it gradually changes to a harmless red mass. The red phosphorus is not only harmless, but it is difficult to ignite, and, in order to be ignited by friction, must be rubbed on a surface rich in oxygen. The head of a safety match is coated with a mixture of glue and oxygen containing compounds. The surface on which the match is to be rubbed is coated with a mixture of red phosphorus and glue, to which finely powdered glass is sometimes added in order to increase the friction. Unless the head of the match is rubbed on the prepared phosphorus coating, ignition does not occur, and accidental fires are avoided. Various kinds of safety matches have been manufactured in the last few years, but they are somewhat more expensive than the ordinary form, and hence manufacturers are reluctant to substitute them for the cheaper matches. Some foreign countries, such as Switzerland, prohibit the sale of the dangerous type, and it is hoped that the United States will soon follow the lead of these countries in demanding the sale of safety matches only. 39. Some unfamiliar forms of burning. While most of us think of burning as a process in which flames and smoke occur, there are in reality many modes of burning accompanied by neither flame nor smoke. Iron, for example, burns when it rusts because it slowly combines with the oxygen of the air and is transformed into new substances. When the air is dry, iron does not unite with oxygen, but when moisture is present in the air, the iron unites with the oxygen and turns into iron rust. The burning is slow and unaccompanied by the fire and smoke so familiar to us, but the process is nonetheless burning, or combination with oxygen. Burning which is not accompanied by any of the appearances of ordinary burning is known as oxidation. The tendency of iron to rust lessens its efficiency and value, and many devices have been introduced to prevent rusting. A coating of paint or varnish is sometimes applied to iron in order to prevent contact with air. The galvanizing of iron is another attempt to secure the same result. In this process iron is dipped into molten zinc, thereby acquiring a coating of zinc, and forming what is known as galvanized iron. Zinc does not combine with oxygen under ordinary circumstances and hence galvanized iron is immune from rust. Decay is a process of oxidation, the tree which rots slowly away is undergoing oxidation, and the result of the slow burning is the decomposed matter which we see and the invisible gases which pass into the atmosphere. The log which blazes on our hearth gives out sufficient heat to warm us, the log which decays in the forest gives out an equivalent amount of heat, but the heat is evolved so slowly that we are not conscious of it. Burning accompanied by a blaze and intense heat is a rapid process, Burning and accompanied by fire and appreciable heat is a slow, gradual process, requiring days, weeks, and even long years for its completion. Another form of oxidation occurs daily in the human body, 
In section 35 we saw that the human body is an engine whose fuel is food, the burning of that food in the body furnishes the heat necessary for bodily warmth and the energy required for thought and action. Oxygen is essential to burning, and the food fires within the body are kept alive by the oxygen taken into the body at every breath by the lungs. We see now one reason for an abundance of fresh air in daily life. 40. How to breathe, air, which is essential to life and health should enter the body through the nose and not through the mouth. The peculiar nature and arrangement of the membranes of the nose enable the nostrils to clean, and warm, and moisten the air which passes through them to the lungs. Floating around in the atmosphere are dust particles which ought not to get into the lungs. The nose is provided with small hairs and a moist inner membrane which serve as filters in removing solid particles from the air, and in thus purifying it before its entrance into the lungs. In the immediate neighborhood of three Philadelphia high schools, having an approximate enrollment of over 8,000 pupils, is a huge manufacturing plant which day and night pours forth grimy smoke and soot into the atmosphere which must supply oxygen to this vast group of young lives. If the vital importance of nose breathing is impressed upon these young people, the harmful effect of the foul air may be greatly lessened, the smoke particles and germs being held back by the nose filters and never reaching the lungs. If, however, This principle of hygiene is not brought to their attention. The dangerous habit of breathing through the open, or at least partially open, mouth will continue, and objectionable matter will pass through the mouth and find a lodging place in the lungs. There is another very important reason why nose breathing is preferable to mouth breathing. The temperature of the human body is approximately 98 degrees F and the air which enters the lungs should not be far below this temperature. If air reaches the lungs through the nose, Its journey is relatively long and slow, and there is opportunity for it to be warmed before it reaches the lungs. If, on the other hand, air passes to the lungs by way of the mouth, the warming process is brief and insufficient, and the lungs suffer in consequence. Naturally, the gravest danger is in winter. 41. Cause of mouth breathing. Some people find it difficult to breathe through the nostrils on account of growths, called adenoids, in the nose. If you have a tendency toward mouth breathing, let a physician examine your nose and throat. Adenoids not only obstruct breathing and weaken the whole system through lack of adequate air, but they also press upon the blood vessels and nerves of the head and interfere with normal brain development. Moreover, they interfere in many cases with the hearing, and in general hinder activity and growth. The removal of adenoids is simple, and carries with it only temporary pain and no danger. Some physicians claim that the growths disappear in later years, but even if that is true, the physical and mental development of earlier years is lost, and the person is backward in the struggle for life and achievement. 42. How to build a fire. Substances differ greatly as to the ease with which they may be made to burn or, in technical terms, with which they may be made to unite with oxygen. For this reason, we put light materials, like shavings, chips, and paper, on the grate twisting the latter and arranging it so that air oxygen in the air can reach a large surface, upon this we place small sticks of wood, piling them across each other so as to allow entrance for the oxygen, and finally upon this we place our hardwood or coal, the coal and the large sticks cannot be kindled with a match, but the paper and shavings can, and these in burning will heat the large sticks until they take fire and in turn kindle the coal, 43, spontaneous combustion, We often hear of fires starting themselves, and sometimes the statement is true. If a pile of oily rags is allowed to stand for a time, 
the oily matter will begin to combine slowly with oxygen and as a result will give off heat. The heat thus given off is at first insufficient to kindle a fire, but as the heat is retained and accumulated, the temperature rises, and finally the kindling point is reached and the whole mass bursts into flames. For safety's sake, all oily cloths should be burned or kept in metal vessels. 44. The treatment of burns, in spite of great caution, burns from fires, steam, or hot water do sometimes occur, and it is well to know how to relieve the suffering caused by them and how to treat the injury in order to ensure rapid healing. Burns are dangerous because they destroy skin and thus open up an entrance into the body for disease germs, and in addition because they lay bare nerve tissue which thereby becomes irritated and causes a shock to the entire system. In mild burns, where the skin is not broken but is nearly reddened, an application of moist baking soda brings immediate relief. If this substance is not available, flour paste, lard, sweet oil, or Vaseline may be used. In more severe burns, where blisters are formed, the blisters should be punctured with a sharp, sterilized needle and allowed to discharge their watery contents before the above remedies are applied. In burns severe enough to destroy the skin, disinfection of the open wound with weak carbolic acid or hydrogen peroxide is very necessary. After this has been done, a soft cloth soaked in a solution of linseed oil and lime water should be applied and the whole bandaged. In such a case, it is important not to use cotton batting, since this sticks to the rough surface and causes pain when removed. 45. Carbon dioxide, a product of burning, when any fuel, such as coal, gas, oil, or wood, burns, it sends forth gases into the surrounding atmosphere. These gases, like air, are invisible and were unknown to us for a long time. The chief gas formed by a burning substance is called carbon dioxide CO2 because it is composed of one part of carbon and two parts of oxygen. This gas has the distinction of being the most widely distributed gaseous compound of the entire world. It is found in the ocean depths and on the mountain heights, in brilliantly lighted rooms, and most abundantly in manufacturing towns where factory chimneys constantly pour forth hot gases and smoke, wood and coal and in fact all animal and vegetable matter, contain carbon, and when these substances burn or decay, the carbon in them unites with oxygen and forms carbon dioxide. The food which we eat is either animal or vegetable, and it is made ready for bodily use by a slow process of burning within the body. Carbon dioxide accompanies this bodily burning of food just as it accompanies the fires with which we are more familiar. The carbon dioxide thus produced within the body escapes into the atmosphere with the breath. We see that the source of carbon dioxide is practically inexhaustible, coming as it does from every stove, furnace, and candle, and further with every breath of a living organism. 46. Danger of carbon dioxide. When carbon dioxide occurs in large quantities, it is dangerous to health, because it interferes with normal breathing, lessening the escape of waste matter through the breath and preventing the access to the lungs of the oxygen necessary for life. Carbon dioxide is not poisonous, but it cuts off the supply of oxygen, just as water cuts it off from a drowning man, since every man, woman, and child constantly breathes forth carbon dioxide. The danger in overcrowded rooms is great, and proper ventilation is of vital importance. 47. Ventilation. In estimating the quantity of air necessary to keep a room well aired, we must take into account the number of lights. Electric lights do not count to be used and the number of people to occupy the room. The average house should provide at the minimum 600 cubic feet of space for each person, and in addition, 
arrangements for allowing at least 300 cubic feet of fresh air per person to enter every hour. In houses which have not a ventilating system, the air should be kept fresh by intelligent action in the opening of doors and windows, and since relatively few houses are equipped with a satisfactory system, the following suggestions relative to intelligent ventilation are offered. 1. Avoid drafts in ventilation. 2. Ventilate on the sheltered side of the house. If the wind is blowing from the north, open south windows. 48. What becomes of the carbon dioxide? When we reflect that carbon dioxide is constantly being supplied to the atmosphere and that it is injurious to health, the question naturally arises as to how the air remains free enough of the gas to support life. This is largely because carbon dioxide is an essential food of plants. Through their leaves plants absorb it from the atmosphere, and by a wonderful process break it up into its component parts, oxygen and carbon. They reject the oxygen, which passes back to the air, but they retain the carbon which becomes a part of the plant structure. Plants thus serve to keep the atmosphere free from an excess of carbon dioxide and, in addition, furnish oxygen to the atmosphere. 49. How to obtain carbon dioxide? There are several ways in which carbon dioxide can be produced commercially, but for laboratory use the simplest is to mix in a test tube powdered marble, or chalk, and hydrochloric acid, and to collect the effervescing gas as shown in figure 24. The substance which remains in the test tube after the gas has passed off is a solution of a salt and water. From a mixture of hydrochloric acid HCl and marble are obtained a salt, water, and carbon dioxide, the desired gas. 50. A commercial use of carbon dioxide. If a lighted splinter is thrust into a test tube containing carbon dioxide, it is promptly extinguished, because carbon dioxide cannot support combustion. If a stream of carbon dioxide and water falls upon a fire, it acts like a blanket, covering the flames and extinguishing them. The value of a fire extinguisher depends upon the amount of carbon dioxide and water which it can furnish. A fire extinguisher is a metal case containing a solution of bicarbonate of soda, and a glass vessel full of strong sulfuric acid. As long as the extinguisher is in an upright position, these substances are kept separate, but when the extinguisher is inverted, the acid escapes from the bottle, and mixes with the soda solution. The mingling liquids interact and liberate carbon dioxide. A part of the gas thus liberated dissolves in the water of the soda solution and escapes from the tube with the outflowing liquid, while a portion remains undissolved and escapes as a stream of gas. The fire extinguisher is therefore the source of a liquid containing the fire extinguishing substance and further the source of a stream of carbon dioxide gas. 51. Carbon. Although carbon dioxide is very injurious to health, both of the substances of which it is composed are necessary to life. We ourselves, our bones and flesh in particular, are partly carbon, and every animal, no matter how small or insignificant, contains some carbon, while the plants around us, the trees, the grass, the flowers, contain a by no means meager quantity of carbon. Carbon plays an important and varied role in our life, and, in some one of its many forms, enters into the composition of most of the substances which are of service and value to man, the food we eat, the clothes we wear, the wood and coal we burn, the marble we employ in building, the indispensable soap, and the ornamental diamond, all contain carbon in some form. 52. Charcoal. One of the most valuable forms of carbon is charcoal, valuable not in the sense that it costs hundreds of dollars, but in the more vital sense that its use adds to the cleanliness, comfort, 
and health of man. The foul, bad-smelling gases which arise from sewers can be prevented from escaping and passing to streets and buildings by placing charcoal filters at the sewer exits. Charcoal is porous and absorbs foul gases, and thus keeps the region surrounding sewer sweet and clean and free of odor. Good housekeepers drop small bits of charcoal into vases of flowers to prevent discoloration of the water and the odor of decaying stems. If impure water filters through charcoal, it emerges pure. Having left its impurities in the pores of the charcoal, practically all household filters of drinking water are made of charcoal. But such a device may be a source of disease instead of a prevention of disease, unless the filter is regularly cleaned or renewed. This is because the pores soon become clogged with the impurities and unless they are cleaned, the water which flows through the filter passes through a bed of impurities and becomes contaminated rather than purified. Frequent cleansing or renewal of the filter removes this difficulty. Commercially, charcoal is used on a large scale in the refining of sugars, syrups, and oils. Sugar, whether it comes from the maple tree, or the sugar cane, or the beet, is dark colored. It is whitened by passage through filters of finely pulverized charcoal. Cider and vinegar are likewise cleared by passage through charcoal. The value of carbon, in the form of charcoal, as a purifier is very great. Whether we consider it a deodorizer, as in the case of the sewage, or a decolorizer, as in the case of the refineries, or whether we consider the service it has rendered man in the elimination of danger from drinking water. 53. How charcoal is made. Charcoal may be made by heating wood in an oven to which air does not have free access. The absence of air prevents ordinary combustion. Nevertheless the intense heat affects the wood and changes it into new substances, one of which is charcoal. The wood which smolders on the hearth and in the stove is charcoal in the making. Formerly wood was piled in heaps, covered with sod or sand to prevent access of oxygen, and then was set fire to. The smoldering wood, cut off from an adequate supply of air, was slowly transformed into charcoal. Scattered over the country one still finds isolated charcoal kilns, crude earthen receptacles, in which wood thus deprived of air was allowed to smolder and form charcoal. Today charcoal is made commercially by piling wood on steel cars and then pushing the cars into strong walled chambers. The chambers are closed to prevent access of air, and heated to a high temperature. The intense heat transforms the wood into charcoal in a few hours. A student can make in the laboratory sufficient charcoal for art lessons by heating in an earthen vessel wood buried in sand. The process will be slow, however, because the heat furnished by a Bunsen burner is not great, and the wood is transformed slowly. A form of charcoal known as animal charcoal, or bone black, is obtained from the charred remains of animals rather than plants, and may be prepared by burning bones and animal refuse as in the case of the wood. Destructive distillation. When wood is burned without sufficient air, it is changed into soft brittle charcoal, which is very different from wood. It weighs only one-fourth as much as the original wood. It is evident that much matter must leave the wood during the process of charcoal making. We can prove this by putting some dry shavings in a strong test tube fitted with a delivery tube. When the wood is heated a gas passes off which we may collect and burn. Other substances also come off in gaseous form, but they condense in the water. Among these are wood alcohol wood tar, and acetic acid. In the older method of charcoal making all these products were lost. Can you give any uses of these substances? 54. Matter and energy. When wood is burned, a small pile of ashes is left, and we think of the bulk of the wood as destroyed. It is true we have less matter that is available for use or that is visible to sight. But, nevertheless, 
no matter has been destroyed, the matter of which the wood is composed has nearly changed its character, some of it is in the condition of ashes, and some in the condition of invisible gases, such as carbon dioxide, but none of it has been destroyed, it is a principle of science that matter can neither be destroyed nor created, it can only be changed, or transformed, and it is our business to see that we do not heedlessly transform it into substances which are valueless to us and our descendants, as, for example, when our magnificent forests are recklessly wasted, the smoke, gases, and ashes left in the path of a raging forest fire are no compensation to us for the valuable timber destroyed, the sum total of matter has not been changed, but the amount of matter which man can use has been greatly lessened, the principle just stated embodies one of the fundamental laws of science, called the law of the conservation of matter, a similar law holds for energy as well, we can transform electric energy into the motion of trolley cars, or we can make use of the energy of streams to turn the wheels of our mills, but in all these cases we are transforming, not creating, energy, when a ball is fired from a rifle, most of the energy of the gunpowder is utilized in motion, but some is dissipated in producing a flash and a report, and in heat, the energy of the gunpowder has been scattered, but the sum of the various forms of energy is equal to the energy originally stored away in the powder, the better the gun island the less will be the energy dissipated in smoke and heat and noise, chapter V food 55, the body as a machine, wholesome food and fresh air are necessary for a healthy body, many housewives, through ignorance, supply to their hard-working husbands and their growing sons and daughters food which satisfies the appetite, but which does not give to the body the elements needed for daily work and growth. Some foods, such as lettuce, cucumbers, and watermelons, make proper and satisfactory changes in diet, but are not strength-giving. Other foods, like peas and beans, not only satisfy the appetite, but supply to the body abundant nourishment. Many immigrants live cheaply and well with beans and bread as their main diet. It is of vital importance that the relative value of different foods as heat producers be known definitely, and just as the yard measures length and the pound measures weight the calorie is used to measure the amount of heat which a food is capable of furnishing to the body. Our bodies are human machines, and, like all other machines, require fuel for their maintenance. The fuel supplied to an engine is not all available for pulling the cars, a large portion of the fuel is lost in smoke, and another portion is wasted as ashes, so it is with the fuel that runs the body, the food we eat is not all available for nourishment, much of it being as useless to us as our smoke and ashes to an engine, the best foods are those which do the most for us with the least possible waste, 56, fuel value, by fuel value is meant the capacity foods have for yielding heat to the body, the fuel value of the foods we eat daily is so important a factor in life that physicians, dietitians, nurses, and those having the care of institutional cooking acquaint themselves with the relative fuel values of practically all of the important food substances. The life or death of a patient may be determined by the patient's diet, and the working and earning capacity of a father depends largely upon his prosaic three meals. An ounce of fat, whether it is the fat of meat or the fat of olive oil or the fat of any other food produces in the body two and a quarter times as much heat as an ounce of starch, of the vegetables, beans provide the greatest nourishment at the least cost, and to a large extent may be substituted for meat, it is not uncommon to find an outdoor laborer consuming one pound of beans per day, and taking meat only on high days and holidays, the fuel value of a food is determined by means of the bomb calorimeter figure 26, 
the food substance is put into a chamber and ignited, and the heat of the burning substance raises the temperature of the water in the surrounding vessel. If 1000 grams of water are in the vessel, and the temperature of the water is raised to degrees C the number of calories produced by the substance would be 2000, and the fuel value would be 2000 calories. Uh, from this the fuel value of one quart or one pound of the substance can be determined, and the food substance will be said to furnish the body with that number of heat units, providing all of the pound of food were properly digested. Footnote A, as applied to food, the calorie is greater than that used in the ordinary laboratory work, being the amount of heat necessary to raise the temperature of 1000 grams of water 1 degree C rather than 1 gram 1 degree C table showing the number of calories furnished by 1 pound of various foods food calories food calories leg of lean mutton 790 carrots 210 rib of beef 1150 lettuce 90 shad 380 onion 225 chicken 505 cucumber 80 apples 290 almonds 30 30 bananas 460 walnuts 3306 prunes 370 peanuts 2560 watermelons 140 oatmeal 4673 lima beans 570 rolled wheat 4175 beets 215 macaroni 1665 57 varied diet the human body is a much more varied and complex machine than any ever devised by man, personal peculiarities, as well as fuel values, influence very largely the diet of an individual. Strawberries are excluded from some diets because of a rash which is produced on the skin. Pork is excluded from other diets for a like reason. Cauliflower is absolutely indigestible to some and is readily digested by others. From practically every diet some foods must be excluded no matter what the fuel value of the substance may be. Then, too, there are more uses for food than the production of heat. Teeth and bones and nails need a constant supply of mineral matter, and mineral matter is frequently found in greatest abundance in foods of low fuel value, such as lettuce, watercress, etc. Though practically all foods yield at least a small mineral constituent, when fuel values alone are considered, fruits had a low value, but because of the flavor they impart to other foods, and because of the healthful influence they exercise in digestion, they cannot be excluded from the diet. Care should be constantly exercised to provide substantial foods of high fuel value, but the nutritive foods should be wisely supplemented by such foods as fruits, whose real value is one of indirect rather than direct service. 58. Our bodies. Somewhat as a house is composed of a group of bricks, or a sand heap of grains of sand, the human body is composed of small divisions called cells. Ordinarily we cannot see these cells because of their minuteness, but if we examine a piece of skin, or a hair of the head, or a tiny sliver of bone under the microscope, we see that each of these is composed of a group of different cells. A merchant, watchful about the fineness of the wool which he is purchasing, counts with his lens the number of threads to the inch, a physician, when he wishes, can, with the aid of the microscope, examine the cells in a muscle, or in a piece of fat, or in a nerve fiber. Not only is the human body composed of cells, but so also are the bodies of all animals from the tiny gnat which annoys us, and the fly which buzzes around us, to the mammoth creatures of the tropics. These cells do the work of the body. The bone cells build up the skeleton. The nail cells form the finger and toe nails. The lung cells take care of breathing. The muscle cells control motion. And the brain cells are responsible for thought. 59. Why we eat so much. The cells of the body are constantly, day by day, minute by minute, breaking down and needing repair, are constantly requiring replacement by new cells, and, in the case of the child, 
are continually increasing in number, the repair of an ordinary machine, an engine, for example, is made at the expense of money, but the repair and replacement of our human cell machinery are accomplished at the expense of food, more than one third of all the food we eat goes to maintain the body cells, and to keep them in good order, it is for this reason that we consume a large quantity of food, if all the food we eat were utilized for energy, the housewife could cook less, and the house staffer could save money on grocers and butchers bills, if you put a ton of coal in an engine, its available energy is used to run the engine, but if the engine were like the human body, one third of the ton would be used up by the engine in keeping walls, shafts, wheels, belts, etc. in order, and only two thirds would go towards running the engine, when an engine is not working, fuel is not consumed, but the body requires food for mere existence, regardless of whether it does active work or not, when we work, the cells break down more quickly, and the repair is greater than when we are at rest, and hence there is need of a larger amount of food, but whether we work or not, food is necessary, 60, the different foods, the body is very exacting in its demands, requiring certain definite foods for the formation and maintenance of its cells, and other foods, equally definite, but of different character, for heat, our diet therefore must contain foods of high fuel value, and likewise foods of cell-forming power, although the foods which we eat are of widely different character, such as fruits, vegetables, cereals, oils, meats, eggs, milk, cheese, etc. They can be put into three great classes, the carbohydrates, the fats, and the proteins. 61. The carbohydrates, corn, wheat, rye, in fact all cereals and grains, potatoes, and most vegetables are rich in carbohydrates, as are also sugar, molasses, honey, and maple syrup. The foods of the first group are valuable because of the starch they contain, for example, corn starch, wheat starch, potato starch. The substances of the second group are valuable because of the sugar they contain, sugar contains the maximum amount of carbohydrate, in the syrups there is a considerable quantity of sugar, WH, 